Recording in progress. The Supreme Court is reconvened. Good morning. Welcome back to the Washington Supreme Court for our second case of today, February 17th, 2022. We are hearing this case as well by video conference. Justice Montoya Lewis is recused. We are joined today by Justice Pro Tem uh, Fearing. Uh, the case is State of Washington versus Zachary Kyle Meredith, petitioner. Petitioner Meredith is represented by Tobin Clusty, who will open for 15 minutes. The response by Nathaniel Sugg is 20 minutes with five minutes reserved for rebuttal. You may proceed. Thank you. Good morning. May it please the court. My name is Tobin Clusty, and I represent the petitioner, Mr. Zachary Meredith. Permitting law enforcement to conduct roving stops like the one at issue here will significantly diminish the right to privacy. It would be a major step towards a system where law enforcement is valued over the right to privacy and where enforcement of the law is valued over privacy. A system where police have unbridled discretion to arbitrarily and erratically seize members of the public just to see if they can find evidence of unlawful activity. And as transit data and history have shown us, the weight of the system will fall disproportionately upon those who are already most vulnerable to government intrusion upon their private affairs including the economically disadvantaged and members of the BIPOC community. Council, um, can I just ask a question here uh, about the statutory provision? And, and I know that you've continued to say that we don't need to address uh, whether non-law enforcement can conduct a fair uh, enforcement process, but they're part of the same statute. So I'm just wondering, would this case be here if it weren't a fully armed law enforcement officer um, who conducted uh, the fair collection here? It is significant that the individual who conducted the seizure of Mr. Meredith was law enforcement. Uh, a deputy of the sheriff's office who was on the bus with another officer and was being the bus with itself was being followed by a sergeant conducting effectively a law enforcement sweep of transit. The primary issue for this court to decide is whether or not law enforcement has authority of law in order to conduct these arbitrary and erratic seizures without any suspicion to believe that individuals are engaged in unlawful activity. So how, what, are, you, are you asking us to then um, strike the statutory provision? Are, what are you asking us in terms of a constitutional question? Is it, uh, as Amiki has raised, is it, are we here today looking at uh, something as applied or are you bringing a facial challenge? This challenge is just asking this court to reaffirm its prior decisions holding that law enforcement needs at least some suspicion of unlawful activity in order to conduct seizures. There are a number of statutes which provide law enforcement with authority, uh, or I should say that, uh, for example, uh, the statute that requires or allows law enforcement to request proof of registration from anyone operating but, but on Mr. Clusty, Justice Yu's question is really important as to what you're asking. For example, if the fair enforcement officer were not a commissioned law enforcement officer, would it still be a seizure? I don't believe, the issue is the, whether or not law enforcement can conduct that seizure. It, this isn't a challenge simply just to law enforcement, and it's an as-applied challenge in the sense of this court has the ability to allow the statute to continue 
but simply to uh, affirm its prior decisions, holding that there needs to be some suspicion for law enforcement in order to conduct these seizures. Um, Under that analysis, would that be, well, either suspicion or some other exception, I assume you mean, such as consent? And then would that make consent an individual totality of circumstances inquiry in each case? Mr. Meredith asserts that consent, an individual cannot consent to a seizure of their person. So I would disagree as to whether or not that is even an applicable exception under these circumstances. However, if consent is found to be an exception for seizures of individuals person, there would need to be an analysis as to whether or not individuals consent. But by merely walking onto public transportation, individuals do not consent to a waiver of their constitutional right to be free from arbitrary and erratic seizures of their person. What's yeah. the source? What's the source of authority for the assertion that um, you, there's no consent exception to the warrant requirement for a seizure? I thought consent was an exception. Consent is an exception to searches and seizures broadly. However, when it comes to seizures of an individual's person, consent has not been used as an exception specifically to that uh, type of seizure. An individual cannot consent to a seizure of their person because, again, this is specific toward seizures of individual person and not searches. Consent, in order for it to be meaningful, an individual needs to have the ability to withdraw consent. The definition of a seizure is that there is a display of authority that restricts someone's movement. However, if an individual does have the ability to withdraw consent and the consent is meaningful, the ability the, the individual would actually be in that moment free to walk away. And effectively, there would be no restraint upon that person because, again, they can withdraw their consent. But the Council, moment the command is made. Council, do you see a difference between someone being detained and someone being seized? Right. Effectively, they are the same in such that an individual cannot move. All right. So if we take your definition of seizure and detention being the same, when did the seizure occur in this case? Was it when the officer made contact in requesting um, the ORCA card or payment? Or did it occur when the individual gave a false name? and the individual was removed from the bus, is that when the seizure occurred? Where did the seizure occur in this case? The seizure occurred as soon as the command was made from Deputy Dalton to show proof of fare or ORCA card. In that moment, no reasonable person would feel that they could decline that command or refuse to answer because doing now, so... Let's, let's look at the statute. Because the statute you're addressing is RCW 3657A.235. And I'm reading that statute, and it appears to me it is giving authority to detain briefly to ascertain proof of payment, identification. And if the person, for example, says, I didn't pay, I don't have ID, then the individual can be removed from the public transportation. Now, if the person says, my name is Mojo, and of course, that's incorrect, and the person is removed because now the, uh, the person 
um, the um, police officer in this case cannot ascertain this person's identification, which is required in order to issue the citation. Once the person is removed from the bus, that's when they are now doing um, probable cause to arrest for the false statement. So prior to that, it appears the statute is saying the officer can detain the individual briefly, it's focused narrowly, and once the information appears to be false, it cannot be ascertained, so they can't give a citation. Then they have to remove the person, and now we're dealing with a crime. So that's why I asked, is there a difference between detention and seizure in this case? Because the statute appears to allow detention briefly, and if everything comports and you didn't pay, just remove you from the bus. Yes. There, the issue is that Deputy Dalton's command was a show of authority that demanded compliance. No individual, as soon as that demand is made, is able to walk away. They face what about the bus driver? On some of those buses, I haven't been on one in a while, but on some of those buses, the bus driver goes down and verifies whether or not payment's been made. And if payment hasn't been made, you get off the bus. So is that a show of authority that creates a seizure as well? No, insofar as if the individual is permitted to leave the bus. Because in that moment, an individual still has the ability to move around or stand still. Now, if the individual does stand still when they're requested to leave, in that moment, that person is choosing to then face the penalty that's associated with failing to provide proof of fare or ORCA card. However, when law enforcement, like Deputy Dalton, an officer with a badge, gun, and handcuffs, walks up to an individual, says, and commands proof of payment or ORCA card, that moment, that person is detained, seized, cannot move, cannot leave. Is this essentially a Terry stop analysis that you're proposing here? Yes. What I'm proposing is merely the basic definition of a seizure in that no person can leave the encounter as first defined by Mendenhall and then later adopted by this court. But as shown by Deputy Dalton's conduct, there was in fact a seizure because it is a command that demanded compliance. No person could leave that encounter. Can I ask you to go to the next step then? If, we're to, if we agree with you that this is a seizure, can you address what uh, you've, you've indicated, I think clearly in response to one of the earlier questions that your challenge is an as-applied challenge. Um, how does the statute or the context of this FAIR model uh, relate to whether the seizure complies with one of the narrowly recognized exceptions to the warrant requirement? Thank you, Your Honor. Consent is the issue that is primarily argued and discussed. There's additionally uh, the special need doctrine. When it comes to consent, it's also important to know that the state here bears the burden to demonstrate any exception that it is offering before this court as justification for the seizures. Consent, in order for the state to meet its burden, the state must show that there are, uh, there was, first of all, it was a valid consensual seizure. The consent must be voluntary. The person granting consent must have the authority to do so, and it must not exceed the scope of the consent. The primary issue here is whether or not that it was voluntary. 
and additionally, whether or not individuals may actually consent to a seizure of their person. I've gone over that briefly. If the court has more questions for that particular issue, I can discuss further. However, when it comes to the voluntary aspect of consent, as well as Division I's holding that there was, in fact, a contractual uh, relationship that was established as soon as the individual gets onto the bus, uh, they both address the same issue, which is whether or not a person is meaningfully consenting to waiving their constitutional rights to be free uh, from law enforcement restricting their movement. The state relies upon the statute itself, as did Division I, to provide the terms of the supposed contract that an individual enters into uh, as soon as they walk onto public transportation. The statutes themselves provide two things. First, that an, it, law enforcement has authority of law to make these commands to people riding public transportation. And then two, that if you fail as a passenger to comply with this command, then you are liable for a legal penalty, a civil infraction. But nowhere with it, even if we assume that legislature can uh, create a contract in which people waive constitutional rights, nowhere contained within those two statutes does it state that an individual is in fact, or is notified that they are waiving an essential material constitutional rights when they get onto public transportation. So can I ask you about that? Because there's some analogy, I recognize it's not addressed, it, no one's arguing a direct analogy to implied consent laws uh, for drivers and like BAC, you know, for um, refusal to uh, cooperate with the BAC, a, a comparable situation where we're talking about um, initiation of a stop, um, but we need an exception to the warrant requirement. So is your argument that in this context, unlike there, the consent has to be individualized finding of knowing intelligent and voluntary waiver of that right? That is correct. There are additionally, the argument is that individuals uh, do not consent blanketly just based on what legislature provides in statute. But uh, addressing when it comes to, for example, uh, drivers consent to uh, breath tests, uh, this court has held that the breath test was not uh, permissible uh, under the consent exception, but rather a search incident to arrest. Uh, so I do believe that there is a difference there. Additionally, the statute itself says that there needs to be a reasonable basis to conduct the stop when it comes to DOI investigations. Um, here, a proper analogy would be to the statute that permits law enforcement to request proof of registration from people driving on uh, public roadways. Officers cannot, however, stop individuals driving on public roadways just to see whether or not they have proof of registration or have a valid driver's license. And that's exactly the type of practice that this court struck down in marching. Uh, it also um, leads to uh, issues that direct relate, relately, or directly relate to um, the, uh, the special needs doctrine that the state addressed in Messiani where the court found that first there was no special need uh, justifying the intrusion of uh, people's people's right to privacy when it came to DUI checkpoints, despite the fact that there was a recognized strong societal interest in preventing uh, harm that is a result of DUI accidents or people who are driving under the influence. Uh, this court said that DUI checkpoints are not are not do not justify the seizures because seizures are more hostile than a search. 
With that, I would ask this court to reserve my remaining time, and then I would ask the court to uh, reverse Mr. Ramirez's con uh, conviction. Thank you. Thank you. Response, please. May it please the court. I'm Nathan Sugg, Deputy Prosecutor representing the state of Washington. The question presented by this case is whether transit authorities in Washington state can operate barrier-free transit systems, which include a request for proof of fare after boarding. That's not the state question. That's not, that's not the question, is it? Um, I believe it I is, think, Your Honor. At the I think the opposing counsel would say you're free to have barrier-free. You just can't have a armed law enforcement officer be the one doing the enforcing. Isn't that a very different and narrower question? Given the as-applied challenge, I, I can I can see the court's, court's point, and I would accept that, yes, Your Honor. Um, I would ask this court to affirm uh, on the defendant's conviction for two reasons. First, a reasonable rider consents to such request when they do choose to ride transit. And second, even if this court finds that a request for proof of fare uh, by a law enforcement officer is a non-consensual seizure, such a narrowly tailored request is justified under the special needs exception. So I think the first uh, question under the consent analysis is, can a person consent to a seizure? Both the defendant and Amici argue that that consent is not an exception to an individual seizure. Uh, but in this case, that argument is largely a semantic one. Um, this court has not analyzed consent as an exception because when someone consents to an interaction with law enforcement, that interaction does not rise to the level of a seizure. It is in fact been deemed a social contact or a perhaps better termed a non-coercive police encounter. That's the way that this court has incorporated consent into its seizure analysis previously, specifically in this court's decision in Menegar. In Menegar, the driver of a vehicle was arrested for DUI um, and the passenger agreed with the officer on scene that he would drive the vehicle away from the scene. The officer asked that passenger for his driver's license in order to verify that he was a licensed <laughs> driver. Counsel, before, uh, is this an end run uh, attack on the, on the um, authority granted under the statute? And the reason I ask that question is, do you see any of our cases rejecting the view expressed by Justice Dolliver in Messiani that, the, that, that a properly crafted and narrowly tailored statutory authority would survive an Article One, Section 7 challenge? I do not see uh, any distinction. I, I believe that that rule is applicable in this case, Your Honor. Um, so is a statute authority of law so that the legislature provided they've passed a statute applies the, or supplies the authority of law necessary uh, for the intrusion? It can be, yes, Your Honor, a statute can be authority of law under Article One, Section 7. However, that statute must also be constitutional. So in some sense, we also have to decide the constitutionality of that statute. I, I would concede that point. Um, and given that, Your Honor, I believe that the consent exception here uh, would indicate that these statutes are, in fact, constitutional, as would the special needs doctrine. Specifically- Mr. Slug, when you were dis discussing consent before, I basically heard you say that uh, any separate consent analysis really collapses into the seizure analysis in the first place, which I think is exactly what your opponent argued. Um, his conclusion was, therefore, there's no consent exception to the seizure analysis, was his conclusion. 
And if you agree that the consent analysis is the same as were they seized analysis, doesn't that mean that there's no consent exception to seizure? And you would have to, to win this case, you would have to prevail on your argument that there was no seizure. That I think it's a semantic argument. And the reason I say that, Your Honor, is because the state is arguing it is constitutionally permissible to engage in acts or a law enforcement encounter uh, that would otherwise be deemed a seizure if the person consents to it. The person's freedom of movement is not restrained by a government authority when they have, in fact, consented to that act. Or so there's two act. possible ways that you could argue consent here. Um, one is implied consent because you bought your because you're going on to the um, metro, which I thought is what your brief argues. And the other is um, conversational engagement with an officer, uh, consensual discussion with an officer, which I really didn't see in your briefing. Are you arguing both forms of consent here? No, Your Honor, the state is arguing that there is actual consent and that consent is by the defendant's conduct in this case. Um, and that analysis actually requires several different points, um, which will allow me to address uh, a little bit more here. The, the first is I think the court has to look at the degree of intrusion to determine whether there was actual consent by conduct of the defendant. Um, for example, if I'm walking down the street and uh, walk by a person, that person uh, says, can I talk to you? And I turn around and stare at the person. My conduct likely indicates that I'm consenting to speaking with them. However, if that same person walks by me and says, can I have a million dollars? And I turn around and stare at them. Uh, my stare, my conduct in that situation likely does not mean that I've consented to giving them a million dollars. So in I'm that sorry. way- So you are, are you- I'm sorry, go ahead, Justice here. Counsel, I, I just want, uh, would you agree for the purposes of even today's argument that there is a real difference between being asked whether you paid the fare and a law enforcement officer who is armed and in uniform um, approaching you, even asking the same question, do you see any difference between the two? Your Honor, I think that yes, there, there absolutely are factual differences in what occurred in this case, however. Um, I mean, the court in its seizure analysis has previously looked at whether officers are armed, the number of officers, sort of the intimidating presence in that situation. And I agree that there could be a difference in intimidating presence between law enforcement officers and non-law enforcement officer uh, fair enforcers. Um, however, the facts of this case don't get that far. Uh, there is no evidence in the record, and it is the defendant's burden to establish a seizure, but there's no evidence of anything other than conversational requests for proof of fare. Uh, there was no indication in the record about any positioning of the officers in a, in a menacing position or otherwise. Um, they were armed, that is in the record. Uh, however, there's no other facts which would typically be analyzed uh, in determining whether uh, there was an intimidating presence of the officers. Well, I but suppose that's probably always going to be from one's perspective in terms of being confronted by law enforcement. But let me get back to the consent issue. Um, if you're arguing consent, how do we know what the scope of consent was? I mean, perhaps boarding a bus, you consent to be asked whether you paid or not. Um, is that the consent here? And is it limited to that? Does it require that somebody then consent to the fact that it might be a police officer who asks you to pay the fare? Is there a difference? 
The consent here, Your Honor, is that you ask to be provided proof of fair and uh, consistent with the statute. Failure to do so, you could be you could be identified per the terms of the statute. That is what the state is asking this court. Um, to find consent to. An individual also likely consents to following the rules of transit at the time they board transit, which are not part of this case, um, but do would require security or law enforcement involvement um, in order to enforce those rules as well. We're seeing that right now in King County Metro system in Seattle, in Seattle um, the increased presence of law enforcement in order to force rules other than uh, fair enforcement. Um, and that does not go away, regardless of the outcome of this case, that that law enforcement presence will still be required uh, to enforce those other rules of transit, which the state believes are consented to at the time of boarding. But if you get on a bus and you're under the influence, would that violate the rules of transit? The specific rules of community transit are not in the record. However, it likely uh, consumption of alcohol, I can tell the court, is in fact a violation of the, the rules of transit. Sure, but there'd have to be some suspicion that you were consuming alcohol before that law enforcement officer could enforce that rule, wouldn't there? You can't just go up to somebody on the bus and say, is that container that you have, does it contain alcohol? Are you drinking alcohol or are you drinking iced tea? You, you can't do that, can you? Uh, I would agree with you, John. Yes, I would agree with Justice Gonzalez, yes. Um, but at this point, I'm worried. I'm worried about some circular reasoning here. The state, I believe, is arguing that because the statute authorizes this conduct of the police officer, that it's done with lawful authority and therefore not contrary to the Washington statute. Does that mean that any statute? can allow any extreme measure of the police officer and therefore it's constitutional because it's under lawful authority? And if not, what are the limits to what the lawful authority can allow the officer to do? No, Your Honor, the state would concede that any statutory authority permitting law enforcement conduct must also be constitutional. I think the limits of any such statute. But you're also arguing that it's constitutional because it's by statute and because it's by statute, it's by lawful authority. No, the state is not making that second argument, Your Honor. I believe that I'm, I'm attempting to address the actual seizure challenge uh, under Article 1, Section 7. I'm not providing that simply because there's a statute that an individual may be uh, in fact, seized pursuant to the statute, but rather under this court's jurisprudence around seizure, um, that an individual may be may be um, asked for proof of fare uh, under the statute. So I believe, and excuse me, under the under the court's seizure analysis, and I think that, as I said before, this is largely just a question of timing. The, the scope of the intrusion here is limited. This is the same question as Justice Whitener indicated that would be asked of a person boarding any non-barrier-free transit system. When they approach the driver on any other bus, they are asked for proof of fare or uh, one is requested at that time. So the scope of the request that is actually being challenged here is minimal, if not de minimis. Um, if if, uh, if uh, the officer, could the officer have searched the person of the defendant in this case after the defendant gave the wrong name or after the defendant did not provide proof of fare 
And if a gun was seized and the defendant was not entitled to possess a gun, could he have been charged with that crime? After the defendant provided a false name, if the officer understood he had provided the false name to avoid his warrant, as happened in this case, then a lawful arrest could occur and a search incident to arrest could follow that. Um, any gun would follow. With absent um, probable cause to make an arrest, search would not be allowed in this instance. Can I have you pause there? What about a frisk? You're saying no frisk under Terry would be allowed prior to an arrest? If the officer was detaining the individual and had a reasonable uh, fear of some sort of officer safety, um, which was otherwise constitutionally permitted, there would be no prohibition on an officer conducting a frisk at that time. To what, to what extent, I'll keep on circling back to the statute, statutory authority uh, council and, and how that might inform the consent issue. Um, if, is there a substantive difference, I guess, from, from in our analysis that would apply here compared to a situation where someone is pulled over for a traffic infraction and asked to submit proof of a valid license and insurance? Is there, is there a difference? Um, and if they don't do it, they're, they're committing a crime. Uh, to be honest, I haven't thought through that analogy, Your Honor, but I um, do not see any distinctions from that situation. Um, I, I would distinguish it from Messiani and Marchand, um, where there were random stops and then there was no, in fact, justification to initially stop the vehicle. The officer's uh, random stops of those vehicles is a, a different degree of intrusion at that point. Those vehicles are going from moving to stopped based on the officer's random suspicionless exercise of their authority. Uh, in this situation, an individual and the record reveals would continue to move from point A to point B. Uh, as they had intended to upon entering the bus. Um, the officer's request of them does not delay their trip and it does not delay otherwise delay them in any way as would happen in Messiani or Marchand. Further, those cases also, Messiani specifically dealt with uh, breath testing at that sobriety checkpoint. Um, so that's a difference in the degree of intrusion. Here, the statute, as Justice Whitener pointed out, uh, is, is narrow and is narrowly tailored to the uh, actual intent of the transit authorities, which is simply to, to have folks pay their fares. Um, providing high quality, efficient, and uh, transit services is the government interest. We're hoping the transit authorities would be able to provide transit to everyone within their boundaries. And uh, barrier-free transit is a mechanism by which to do that. The intrusion is not open. To, can I get back to your seizure analysis? Earlier, you were listing some of the factors which showed that this was consensual rather than a law enforcement seizure. And I think you were talking about the record in this case. Do we analyze whether a request for uh, proof of payment um, constitutes a seizure on a case-by-case -case basis? Or do we look at it, um, does this court make a rule about it in general? Well, Your Honor, following Menegar, I, I don't have a clean answer to that specifically. It's a little bit nuanced, Your Honor, but, but the court has always applied a reasonable person standard in the context of determining whether or not someone is seized. Um, in the context of consent, however, we are looking for actual consent. To the, so to the extent that consent is informing that seizure analysis, uh, it would have to be uh, 
determine, determining actual consent. Uh, here, actual consent is established based upon that the defendant had knowledge that this would be a request and that a reasonable person would have that knowledge. Um, so that- well, stepping, stepping back from consent to the seizure analysis and whether a reasonable person would feel free to leave, um, I must say that having over the years spoken to various friends and colleagues about that, um, when I'm asked for proof of fair, um, maybe I don't necessarily feel seized when a person of color is confronted by law enforcement and asked for um, proof of anything in an enclosed space of a bus or train, um, maybe they do feel seized. What's the reasonable person analysis in this case? Your Honor, here the reasonable person analysis I think would be determined, if your court is asking me to pick a, a race for the reasonable person, I think the court should be including um, uh, expectations of all members of our community. I don't think that the court should analyze reasonable expectation uh, just of a majority uh, race or, or of just white people in this state. Uh, the court's analysis should properly include all people of color and other experiences, just as so this court does. So how would that analysis play out in this case in determining whether a seizure occurred? Well, specifically, Your Honor, I think then we would turn be turning to the consent analysis. Um, even if Mr. Meredith, Mr. Meredith, a white man, uh, did was did have this request. So the facts of this case don't indicate that he would have had um, any expectation. Looking at a reasonable person, however, um, the court could could find that a seizure did exist based upon a person's a reasonable person's. Uh, expectation. However, the court would then apply consent, and a reasonable transit rider would, in fact, expect at the time of entry that they would be uh, could be asked for a proof of fare. Most of this court's analysis about that portion, about that consent portion, turns on includes analysis of whether someone would feel free to terminate the encounter or walk away. Uh, in the United States Supreme Court case, Florida versus Bostic, the court really looked at the principles underlying those analysis in the Florida Supreme Court had analyzed whether or not a person was free to walk away on a bus when law enforcement officers approached them and asked for identification and for their ticket. Uh, the Florida Supreme Court said, well, they can't walk away, they're on the, they're on the bus. The United States Supreme Court uh, indicated that the Florida court had looked too narrowly at the words rather than- But the US Supreme Court said, there's no per se rule one way or the other. It's a totality of the circumstances inquiry. So do we do a separate inquiry in every transit fare request case? If the, if the request is based upon consent, actual consent would need to be demonstrated. So where an individual does challenge uh, that they did not consent or that consent was not present, um, then yes, the state would have an obligation to establish consent in, in those cases. I believe and that's did, the state, did the state do that in this case? Yes, Your Honor, the state did. Um, specifically, the reasons are that that there is a historical duty going back in this state, back to 1912, that an individual would have a duty to present fair. This goes to what the defendant knew uh, and what a reasonable person would have known. Counsel, as, as I read the record below, um, and I want to get back to, is there a difference between who's asking for the fair? Um, this officer, Officer Dalton, testified that 
they were there only because the SWIFT ambassadors were not available. So could Mr. Meredith have expected to board this bus and that he would have been asked for a fair payment by these civilians as opposed to a law enforcement officer? And, and it gets to your question of consent and the scope, I guess, is what I'm worried about. You know, I believe that a, a reasonable transit rider would expect it to occur from either a fair ambassador or transit police. I don't think that a, a reasonable transit rider's expectation would differ on that on that basis. Um, so for that reason, I'm asking this court to affirm uh, the lower court, uh, affirm the defendant's conviction. Um, and thank you. Thank you, counsel. Rebuttal, please. Thank you, Your Honor. Staying on the consent topic, I think it's important to note here because the state has brought up that this was a limited degree of intrusion. Uh, the command by Deputy Dalton, a police officer with a gun, badge, um, uniform, as well as another officer being on that same exact bus conducting the same exact type of intrusive uh, questioning of people riding the bus. This court in Messiani specifically said, a seizure to discover evidence of crimes is more hostile than the administrative search. And in that case, it's also important to note because the state brought this up that Messiani only dealt with breath tests. That's incorrect. Messiani dealt specifically with stops. And the degree of this intrusion, while it could be seen as a question, though, Deputy Dalton made a command. Um, the Again, the one thing that the state is avoiding in a seizure analysis is the fact that reasonable people know the law or assume we assume that the reasonable people are aware of, for example, legal penalties associated with certain actions. The state is avoiding the, the fact that there is a legal penalty that immediately attaches with that command. Uh, so where would the daylight be between this situation and my example, the blue, blue lights, the trooper saying license and insurance. And if I don't provide them, I'm off to jail. Is, is the seizure analysis different? No, Your Honor. And the reason why is because both of them stopped the individual's movement. While whether or not you are being stopped on the roadway or you're being commanded to provide proof of fare, in, in both instances, you are frozen. You cannot move because, and we see based on the record below, what, what happens when you refuse or you fail to provide proof of fare to law enforcement who requests it. You get your identification taken. Uh, you can get taken off of. You get taken off of transportation. You can be handcuffed. Uh, for example, if they're not able to. Uh, find your name on the public database. And I think it's also important to recognize as well that in Messiani uh, and both Messiani and Marchin, which dealt with spot checks and roving stops, similar to what's at issue here, but instead of people driving uh, on public roadways, both cases, this court has recognized that the intrusions were brief, however, also recognized that while they are brief, they are still nonetheless seizures of an individual's person. And that is significant. Uh, because so can I ask what the analogy then would be? Because the cases you analogize to are described in those opinions as suspicionless stops, suspicionless seizures. In the traffic stop instance, that's not what we have. There has to be some basis to make the traffic stop. The state here is arguing, or of course, that there's a basis here based on the understanding of fair ridership dating to at least 1912. So I guess is, is your analogy that when a person gets on a barrier-free bus, it is as if they are out on the public street? In the sense of that, just like in Marchand and Messiani, there were no, there's no suspicion whatsoever to conduct a seizure. 
the state, I agree with the state that there needs to be a justification for the seizure. Here, the only factor or the only circumstance that the, uh, that uh, is relied upon to conduct these commands of people riding public transportation is the simple fact that they're riding public transportation, which is in right. So, so the premise of your argument would have to be, wouldn't it, that they need to have reasonable suspicion that the person they questioned didn't pay the. They would need yes. They would need to have suspicion of unlawful activity. There is no suspicion whatsoever. It, they are simply riding the bus. If the ambassador, instead of the law enforcement officer, approached Mr. Meredith and said show me proof that you paid, and Mr. Meredith said no, then would there be reasonable suspicion if that ambassador then called law enforcement in to further inquire? If there is someone who is providing information to law enforcement saying that this person does not have proof of fare, potentially, yes. It gets tricky because of the fact that, uh, for example, how long the time needs to be before someone is actually able to provide that information. Um, but if for example, it does happen frequently when bus drivers are driving uh, a public, uh, driving a bus, public transportation, are able to quickly see and observe when someone gets onto the bus that that person did not pay and then immediately dispatch and contact their supervisor. And so there can be, there certainly can be a situation in which law enforcement can generate suspicion in order to conduct the seizures that are at issue here. But as demonstrated but, but can by- I, Can I just ask, I'm sorry, Chief, I see he's out of time. Can I ask a follow-up to your question? You may. So we're not getting into, as I understand, because your, your challenge is as applied, the difference between a civilian fair enforcement ambassador, or ambassador who would be enforcing fair and an officer. So do I understand your argument to be that it wouldn't be a state actor creating the reasonable suspicion if an ambassador asked for proof of fair before an officer was then called? There would be- Is that your argument? There'd be no state action there? That is not my argument. I, there would need to be an analysis as to whether or not the individual who is requesting proof of fare is in fact a state uh, is in fact a state actor. But based on the limited issue that is before this court, I mean, the court does not need to make that determination. It's very clear that Deputy Dalton is law enforcement, and it's also clear that he was uh, investigating people for whether or not they were uh, engaged in unlawful activity. Uh, for these reasons, as well as those that I've provided in briefing, ask this court to reverse Mr. Meredith's uh, conviction and find that Deputy Dalton seized him without authority of law. Thank you. Thank you to counsel for your briefing and your arguments today. The case is uh, submitted and we are adjourned. The Supreme Court is adjourned. Recording stopped.